Welcome to episode 520 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a grand conversation with regular contributor, poet, playwright, baker, and candlestick maker, Kitty Bell Burbank. We talk with Kitty about teaching the young. We talk about liking sentences, K Street, being efficient but not creative, enjoying work and life but being afraid on a daily basis of not being able to keep scraping together enough work to sustain yourself, uncanny valley, working in the newspaper industry, and the ferment, among other things. A grand conversation with Kitty Bell Burbank this go-round. We have an EW essay titled Tomorrow, and we share an excerpt from a piece by Sparrow titled Sparrow's Guide to Business, as published in the March 2023 issue of The Sun magazine. And we have a poem called Immigrant Dreams. All of this, of course, will be infused, imbued with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to be with you. Let's get to it then. Episode 520 of Troubadours and Rock-On Tours. I know cause I've made the same scene 
I know just what you mean because you got that crazy feeling. Nah, nah, nah. You got that that crazy feeling. Nah. You got that crazy feeling deep inside. No, oh, I can see it in your eyes. You got that crazy feeling. Nah, nah, nah. You got that that crazy feeling. You got that crazy feeling too. I feel just like you, feel just like you Tomorrow Community vast with favor and discontent Who are we to lament? over the ways in which the day-to-day plays unfold. It would be quite bold and difficult to change or circumvent. Though, isn't that the way of freedom and justice? These ideals rarely ferment to fruition, at least as of late. When one seriously thinks about how it indeed goes, and researches a truer version of human history, it becomes very clear. We are too feeble of mind and spirit and are driven by baseness, empty impulses, steeped in envy, fueled with fear. I would prefer to be happy, optimistic, my dear, my peer, Why I am not is no real mystery. You'd see if you rambled around here. I was in a lube shop waiting room the other afternoon for just about 90 minutes. I talked with several of the patrons who came in and out waiting for their vehicles to be brought up to snuff. The owner of the joint held court behind an elevated platform surrounded in an L-shaped countertop answering the phone and sliding a plexiglass window open to talk with his employees, closing it again after each communique. And we were all there. The fear, worry, and discontent, along with the sense of human companionship, left me unsettled and deeply sad as I drove away in a cold spring rain wondering if I should ever go back there again. The sun will come out tomorrow Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow
Kitty Bell Burbank, is that you? Yes, hello, I am here. Hello, how's my volume? <laughs> I'm not sure, I can't see. Are you talking about in a glass or, you know? I met my vocal level. Oh, yeah. I didn't plug in my external microphone today and I have my headphones on, so I can barely hear myself. But as long as you can hear me, we're okay. I hear you wonderfully, your volume is great. Great. I've had a lot of practice. As, yeah, you're you're a <laughs> professional, for sure. It's so nice to have you on Troubadours and Rock on Tours yet again. Yes, I, it's been since the holidays, I think. Yeah, yeah, since uh, December was the last time we've uh, spoken. And for those who have not heard you on the program before, 
Kitty Bell Burbank is a regular contributor, I'm happy to say. She's a poet, a playwright, a baker, and a candlestick maker, among other things. And today we, we have uh, several interesting topics to delve into. But uh, before we go there, are you enjoying the spring so far here in uh, the Northeast? Yes, it got a little too hot, a little too fast, but it has cooled off, so I am happy now. Yeah, I I don't really need it to be above 72 ever. (laughs) Yeah, the 70s are nice. You're right. Yeah, they were a great decade, too. I'm a little obsessed, yeah. Yeah, so now today's a little chilly as we speak for me, but, uh, you know, it is early in the season. We're talking in uh, mid-April, right before Earth Day, matter of fact, a couple of days before Earth Day. Uh, and, uh, uh, today you, you know, you, you, you gave me a couple of deep areas you wanted to go to, and, uh, I'm sure it's going to take us all over some, some, some interesting ideas for sure will be shared. Uh, the, the first thing I, I made note of was a story that came to mind, to your mind from Annie Dillard's, a writing life. Did you want to share that? You know, yes, I because I don't it's like a Buddhist koan for me in a way. I got home, I was listening to uh the radio on in the car. I was on the my way home from working with some third graders. Had a lovely morning. We are uh writing plays together again and um this story came on and I bookmarked it and I got home and I transcribed it because <laughs> it was that important to me. So this is how, this is what she writes. Amy Dillard writes, a well-known writer got collared by a university student who asked, do you think I could be a writer? Well, the writer said, I don't know. Do you like sentences? (laughs) The writer could see the student's amazement. Sentences? Do I like sentences? I am 20 years old. And do I like sentences? If he had liked sentences, of course, he could begin. Like a joyful painter, I knew. I asked him how he came to be a painter. He said, I like the smell of the paint. I love it. It is like a Buddhist con. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like sentences? I just, I find that I keep repeating this to my, to my students as a Buddhist teacher might do. <laughs> Um, what, what she goes on to do here is talk about how so many young writers she has met don't read and do they want to be writers or do they actually enjoy the art, the craft? Yeah, I guess that's two different things for sure. Yeah. So, you know, she's basically... If you like sentences, I can't stop you from being a writer, you know, then you are one, you know, just do what you love, do what you love. If you don't love it, maybe, maybe, you know, you're supposed to be doing something else. Well, you know, I've always loved sentences and words, and I'm sure you have always too, or at least for quite some time. And uh, it, it is, you know... I, I must. I mean, and that's what compels one to 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 write uh, for sure. Uh, but I guess there are folks who 
who like sentences so much that they they enjoy reading them, you know, through essays, fiction, poetry, whatever. But maybe they don't feel like they're good enough to write. I guess that's a possibility. But for someone to want to be a writer and to not like sentences, I don't know how that could be possible. Yeah. But but you do see, you know, what are you reading this week? Nothing. (laughs) Something for class. Really? Are you sure you're into this? Um, There's just a joy of being alive, I think, also that I see here. Getting excited about something as simple as a sentence should be a daily occurrence in in your life. But I don't I don't know. It's like we're looking for something else. We're, we're missing the obvious joy of of doing something that's fun for us in in a lot of people's lives. I think that's what I got out of this. Out of out of Annie Dillard's uh, <laughs> work, which she presented in in uh, a writing life, or uh, from your conversation or interaction in ref- in in uh, response to that with your third graders. Well. Both, right? I think this piece made me think that. But then, yes, working with third graders and seeing how excited they are, everybody in the group gets to be a part of speech. And what, you know, what role do those parts of speech play in the sentence? And we're going to use that personality to create a character. And they are there for it. They are not like, this isn't cool. (laughs) (laughs) it's there and they're they're not shy and they're they're excited to be doing making sentences yeah yeah and 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 then i i see um other people that don't look like they enjoy anything ever anymore (laughs) generally across the board yeah uh (laughs) You know, you and I and many folks, because uh, you and I talk outside of the radio show, um, we, we've uh, noticed and reference often, you know, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, uh, and, the, you know, the, the effect the pandemic has had on things since then. Do you think uh, people you mentioned are not happy about anything, uh, uh, not enjoying anything? Is, is that coming out of the pandemic because of the pandemic or is it bigger than that? I think it's definitely bigger than that. I mean, if you go back to like the mad men selling us dissatisfaction, um, you're talking about the average, like K street. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're not supposed to be happy. (laughs) We're supposed to want other things, more things, more, more, we're not supposed to be content. It's too easy. It's too simplistic. It's we're, we're, too, we're too jaded now. Um, I don't know the, the whole mental health issue we're seeing, especially with teens, which, you know, and goes into college students. It's just, what, what have we done to ourselves that we're so miserable? Um, and why aren't, why aren't we fixing it? Good question. I don't think we have a handle on it. I, I my mind is blown with what I see as definite a definite uh, disease, 
in in society regarding and I'm going to sound like an an old guy now, an old person. <laughs> everybody constantly on their phones, you know, mm-hmm. constantly, and it's everybody, not just young people. Everybody, young people more so, I think, from my observations. But everybody on your phone constantly, which is a disease because, in my view, it keeps us from getting deeper because uh, everything's like a short little whatever, like, you know, a short fix, whether it be a video or something you're reading or, or a photograph looking for likes, all that kind of thing. And also keeps us from looking at each other, talking with one another, you know, having, having uh, you know, more genuine uh, human connection. And I think it's a disease and that that's, you know, but yeah. we don't know what to do with it. Nobody's even addressing it, I don't think. Yeah, well, and we're not supposed to really enjoy what we're doing, I don't think. I mean, I know I had a, a job not too long ago where I was constantly being challenged with how much can you do in 20 hours a week? And the the whole part of the the creativity of the work that I enjoyed was considered optional because (laughs) (laughs) optional for them right because there's no time for that you just need to be efficient right and 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 be creative without taking time to daydream or have fun or just try something to see what happens (laughs) the there's no time to do that in, in the modern workforce. But I, I don't know. You know, I think that that could be changing. I think the whole AI threat might help us. How so? Because if machines can be machines and do what they do, then we need people to do something else. We need people to do what machines can't do. And that's being human, <laughs> which... Is, thank you. You know, thank you for not asking me to be a machine because I, I can't and I don't want to have that kind of a life. Unless we get to a point, our species, with being uncomfortable uh, having uh, folks around us acting, quote, human. You know, why, why are you talking to me? Why, why are you looking at me? Why did you just uh, – is that is that okay to say that? Should I say this? Should I – you know, and I don't want to bash uh, – what we call, and I don't want to become one of those folks who try to diminish the importance of, of being uh, respectful and sensitive to everyone's unique experience or different experiences and circumstances. I believe in all of that. But we maybe people are getting to a point where they just don't know how to deal and don't feel comfortable with dealing with anything but, again, the, the very vapid and, and short-term sort of um, uh, – I guess, requests on, 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 on them. And I don't yeah. know, you know, it's, it's, it, we might not feel comfortable with, with the kind of human behavior you and I are talking about anymore. Yeah. But I think it's going to be come out on top. <laughs> um, in a way we need people to, I mean, if, if we're going to have somebody be do creative work for us, we, we're going to want them to do what the chat GPT can't do, you know, and write something that sounds like only a person could have written it because it's so specific to the experience of being alive that a computer just does it now. That's but what you're saying, that's like I have a little note on my uh, whiteboard here that says uncanny valley. 
because I'm fascinated by that expression and I'm collecting little scraps of language to use as uh, collage starters to make collages. Oh, nice. Nice. So, so yeah, so that's that idea of uncanny valley is the discomfort we feel with the humanoid robot, right? Where it's, it's real, but it's not where it's, yeah. And that makes us uncomfortable. So like what you're talking about is the opposite of that, that we're actually uncomfortable with the too much humanity. Right. (laughs) I fear that that might end because I I think sometimes, you know, if you're in a public uh, space with with, uh, other people and and you start talking with them. They you start you, you get the feeling that they're looking at you as a weirdo. Like why are you talking to me? <laughs> you know, yeah. are you like are you a creep or something because you want to <laughs> talk? Uh, is that what's happening? You know, are you is there something wrong with you because you're talking to me too is, right now? Uh, I, I I worry about the mindset uh, changing of of the, the you know human other the masses of humans. Yeah, well, I worry about those people because they think that they're okay and they think they're normal because they've managed to conform in a certain way and don't want that shaken up. But th- that's a frightening place to live, um, t- to not be open to humanity, right. <laughs> to, right. put, to put those limitations on our experience i've had a couple people you know mention to me recently oh you're so passionate about this i feel like i'm normal about this i don't feel like i'm extraordinarily uh enthusiastic but i i think i am because um i'm i'm doing things that i enjoy and i'm i'm excited about it i'm excited that i mean i've had some pretty bad jobs you know and I'm I'm not doing them now. I'm only doing things that I enjoy doing. Well, um, you, you know that that leads me into another thing you mentioned you want to get into, and it, talk about liking sentences. I like the sentence, and I think I got it uh, um, verbatim or almost from your text. Mm-hmm. I, I might have changed it a little bit just in, in terms of so that it, it sounds better to the listener. But you yeah. were, uh, you know, you were referring to yourself, but I'm referring it more in uh, making references that are more general. Here it is. Enjoying work and life, but afraid on a daily basis of not being able to keep scraping together enough work to sustain myself. That's yeah. that's something you've been thinking about. Again, you you enjoy your work and life, but can you get enough work? And you think <laughs> about this every day to be able to sustain yourself. Yeah. Do, do you think that's a, an uncommon or a common uh, concern for people? I think it's increasingly common. Um, as the jobs that a lot of us used to have have disappeared. Um, you know, I worked at in the newspaper industry for 15 years, thought that I could kind of stay there in some capacity or another for the rest of my life. And then social media came along. First Craigslist killed the classifieds. Um, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I have to start all over again, you know, because there was no parallel job that was obvious to just plop into. Um, 
so yeah, ever since then, it's like, how am I going to do this? <laughs> but I've also been told, oh, you can just go work for this kind of company and do that kind of job. And it's to the point where even if I could, it's, I don't know. Did I ever tell you the story when I first moved back here? I went for an administrative assistant role, which is what I had been doing out in Arizona. And no, the, guy, the guy said, no, I, you're so interesting, but I can't hire you to do this job. You'll be bored. You, you're not going to stick around. You're obviously meant to do something else, but I'd love to have a drink with you. <laughs> He's making the moves. I'm like, I have kids to support, buddy. <laughs> like, I will do anything that I have to do, including work in your office, um, to to support them. But, I mean, he, he just, yeah, no, he couldn't even consider it because I had just done other things, art, theater, you know. Even though I worked in an office for three years, he, you know, saw this exotic thing or something. Uh, so I had a really hard time getting a job that when I, I ended up working it for a theater company because it was the only people that would hire me. This is before the newspaper days. Before the newspaper, yeah. yeah. So, so then it's like, all right, you can apply for all of these jobs, but it's almost like that they, they see that, you know, what is a good fit for our company? You know, um, this person is not conservative or conformist enough just by, you know, if you can get past the uh, AI screeners <laughs> that they put you through, right? Right, right. And um, so... So in a way, you're almost forced to to be authentic, to to find you have to do what you love because it's the only thing that anybody will hire you to do. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess you know. I mean, even if you do sort of get through their their checks, where they you know are looking to see if you're not a good fit, if you don't like what you're doing eventually it's going to catch up with you. Now, if you have children to raise and you have other sorts of responsibilities that you can't uh, walk away from, then you, you'll you take, what, as you said, anything you can get to, to uphold those resp financial responsibilities. But and, and life is not always about getting everything you want, right? It's not always about every day being a party are wonderful in terms of your work life. It's it's a weird thing the being here on the west coast, not the west coast. Excuse me, the the western world where you and I live on the east coast. Um, we have a lot of listeners in L.A. though, so you guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> it it's it's we're we're always thinking everything should be awesome for us, right? Or or more so than maybe people who are in older cultures, maybe. Have, Dare I say, more mature cultures. Uh, everything should always be just exactly the way we want it right now. I should, I deserve this. Yeah. Ooh, excuse me. That might Seltzer. be one of our problems. <laughs> 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 um, that dro that drove a belch out of you. That was that was heavy stuff. I must yeah. have. <laughs> um. Yeah. Now I totally lost track of what we were saying. Um, well, how oh, yeah, yeah, you know, we want what we want. I see that with students all the time. It's like you guys are gonna have to compromise, you know, you're not gonna get it exactly the way that you dream it will be, you know, something is gonna happen that's gonna 
become an obstacle or throw you off course or change, you know, what you think you're going to do. And that could be for the better in the long run, or it could be a matter of compromising, settling. You know, I, I never wanted to be a journalist, but hey, I got to write about the arts. So who was going to complain? Um, not exactly what I wanted to do, but it was a good it was a it was a good compromise. I could take care of my kids, have a steady day job, and write about theater and go to plays. Okay, not bad. So maybe, yeah, I'll take that. You know, <laughs> I'll take that deal. There's a there's a lot of compromising we have to do, and there's a lot of struggling and suffering and doing hard things the hard way for not a lot of money sometimes. But I think in the long run, at least what I'm learning is that people will respect you for being authentic for being who you really are and not trying to be something that you're not right right people respond to that and then they they want they want to see you succeed you know when when people want to see you do well at this thing that makes sense that, that you should be doing because you're the right person for that. You'll find support comes out of surprising corners and places. From I good think. people, from good people, quote unquote, yeah. or people that care about you, I guess. You, people you know, that get it. Yeah, people that get it. I, I largely, and this might be cynical, I don't think many people give a darn about you. Or give a darn about me or any of us, you know. They, right. they just give a darn about themselves. You know, and and it's it's uh, I don't know where it comes from, and I'm probably guilty of it too. Uh, I just can't see it. Biological survival, right, right. Yeah. Uh, But also, I think we're a little worse at it. We being again Western world, because of this, we're almost like spoiled kids to a certain extent. You know, Uh, not all of us. You know, there's some people who are born into struggle, and they don't have the luxury. Of, of complaining like I'm complaining right now. Um, but there are a lot of us in this country who have that luxury, a, a multitude. And I think it negatively affects our normative culture uh, in the ways that we've been describing in our conversation today. Yeah. Well, you definitely see that, I think, on the um, the right wing. There's a disdain for artists, you know, that you shouldn't get paid to make theater or create art or music. That's that's not something anybody should get paid for, you know, in their thinking. They, they want to see us do, um, I don't know, boring wage slave jobs or something. But yeah, they want us to be drones, you know, yeah. a, a part of the machine, you know, uh, and... And they also are, are happy with paying a lot of money to people to, to wield uh, mentalities and weapons of aggression and, and destruction. There Billions can be spent in that direction. But arts, you know, uh, humanities, some of the most important aspects in, uh, of, of uh, the human species and what makes us supposedly superior to all other species, that's not important. Yeah, don't quit your day job. And um, if it, when people do well, 
at in the arts they're the liberal elite and out of touch with you know like they they've created this whole stigma to put on people who get rewarded you know for for their creative work and that stuff saves a lot of folks you know whether it be on the way to work depressed you put on the radio and you hear this song that just uplifts you and keeps you from freaking taking the, the car off the bridge you know or a play that transforms your whole sense of self and your family and where you're going in the future uh a painting that hits you deep in your soul that you know and inspires that that stuff doesn't matter right <laughs> i don't know i want to live in a world where it's okay to like sentences <laughs> Beautiful. You know, where that's not odd or unusual or indulgent, you know. And way to bring it right back around. Kitty Bell Burbank here on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, poet, playwright, baker, candlestick maker. Kitty Bell, we only have a few more minutes. You want to take us home, so to speak, or give us some sustenance till the next time we hear from Kitty Bell here on Troubadours and Rock on Tours? Um, I, I think... You know, you have to, like I said, you got to find that thing that you love and find a way to do it. And if that's, um, you know, sometimes to me, those sentences are the only thing that makes sense. And uh, I think I also mentioned I've been channeling my political angst into uh, a play that I'm writing, an audio play uh, about young people when the United States starts falling apart even more <laughs> in about 15 years, 18, you know, 18 years, somewhere in that range. Um, and it, it's great because I can just take all of that frustration and confusion and anger and, and make it into something positive instead of letting it bring me down and make me feel bad. Is that going to be ready for public consumption soon? That audio play? You know, I was thinking it might be fun to have a live recording of it. So because it is an audio piece too, you know, I don't know how that would sound with the audience, if that would work or not. But I don't know, I'm working on it, working on an idea. Keep us uh, abreast of what's going on in that, re in that area and that uh, pursuit. And who knows, maybe we can do something on, on one of the radio stations that we are it could be recorded in front of a live audience as audio, right? That's yeah, a thing. Why not? Sure. Yeah. I think then you could sell tickets that help to pay for the production. Yeah. Great idea. I don't know. I'm yeah. going to try it, I guess. Do you have a name for it yet? Oh, this is the ferment, which um, not to bring up John Bromberg every time I talk to you, but. Uh, Man, he's great. He had me write a piece, radical fermentation for a fringe piece he did. A few years ago and so that idea of that ferment has been in my head ever since then and i thought what a great title for a group of revolutionary young people the ferment i look forward to it and yeah. i look forward to talking with you again kenny but thank you for taking time out of your day uh, to, to share some insight and some ideas and great energy on troubadours and rock on tours thank you for talking to me my pleasure talk to you again soon okay bye 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 See you coming.
And now, a piece published in the March 2023 edition of The Sun magazine by Sparrow. It's titled, Sparrow's Guide to Business. I have worked part-time, essentially, my entire life. But now that I'm 69 years old, I'd like to say that my status has switched from underemployed to semi-retired. Over the years, my working hours have gradually decreased from 20 to 15 to roughly 12 a week. You might be asking, what can I, a disoriented, semi-retired, semi-unknown poet, tell you about business? You'd be surprised. First, money versus time. In life, you must choose. Do you want money or do you want time? As you can tell from the opening of this piece, I have chosen time. When I flunked out of Cornell University in 1973, I had very few desires. Rent was cheap in Gainesville, Florida. The highest I paid was $50 a month. I cooked my own food, mostly grains and beans, which were also cheap. A pound of brown rice cost 39 cents. I never bought clothes. I didn't have a car. In fact, I didn't know how to drive. I also didn't want to contribute to the American empire, in particular to the military. And I discovered that if I made less than a certain amount of money every year, I wouldn't have to pay taxes. No taxes meant no bullets being bought with my dollars. My Social Security income statements tell the story of the four years after I left Cornell. 1974, $603. Money or time, that's your choice. Today, I had lunch with my friend Larry, who said, There is a beautiful home down the hill from me. I don't know if you ever noticed it. It's across from a waterfall. It's a big stone house from the 1780s. It has seven fireplaces. The couple who own it are never there, maybe three weeks a year. That's how it is, I thought. The people who have enough money to own such a place have no time to enjoy it. The couple had a caretaker named Tom, who lived there full-time. I use the past tense because he recently died of pancreatic cancer. That's why his peacock and peahen have been wandering around the neighborhood, sometimes lingering on Larry's property. Tom had no money, but lots of time. Plus, he lived in a beautiful house with seven fireplaces. But he was unmarried probably because women don't like to marry caretakers. So maybe there are three factors in life, money, time, and a spouse. When my wife met me, I was living with my parents at the age of 32 and working as a telemarketer. Why would she marry someone like that? Well, my wife is not the average spouse. Let me take a moment to thank my wife. Thank you, thank you, Violet. The importance of ignorance. No one can learn anything unless they first admit their ignorance. And you have done that. You have decided to read the self-help guide. Seek emptiness. 
Once in a while, I visit the Zen monastery two miles from my house. I do sitting meditation, then walking meditation, then more sitting meditation. Then I listen to the abbot give a talk. Afterward, there's a free lunch. The food is vegetarian and always good. Zen Buddhists like to talk about emptiness, and I must say I don't really know what they mean, but here's one way to think about it. According to modern physics, all matter is composed of atoms, and atoms are, in fact, mostly empty space. What we think of as a solid rock is not solid at all. It's just little buzzing centers of energy with comparatively great distances between them. The Zen masters say, Form is emptiness, emptiness is form. They figured out in the 9th century what it took Western scientists another 11 centuries to understand. Emptiness is important in business. Suppose a salesman at Costco is trying to sell you a refrigerator. Wait, does Costco sell refrigerators? Let me check the internet. Yes, Costco offers the Hisense 4.4 cubic foot glass door compact refrigerator for $199.99. Anyway, the salesman is going on and on about the virtues of the Hisense 4.4 cubic foot glass door compact refrigerator, and after a while you are sick of hearing him talk. You want him to slow down, to pause, even to stop. You want emptiness. Finally, he says, So, what do you think? And then you are happy. Modern capitalism needs more emptiness, and you can be the source of that comforting vacuity. In the media, they speak of content providers, essentially the writers who create TV shows. But what about the emptiness providers? Be an emptiness provider.
Immigrant Dreams. Shoemaker in his shoe shop on top of the hill in a dirty little junkyard town where people affix sticky rectangles of weather-resilient banners on the bumpers of their second-hand automobiles with Western world sounds memorialized by learned letters arranged in words that read in phrases such as turn that frown upside down. He migrated here. Is this the place he meant to see? Is this the place that he should be? You know, sometimes we're not prepared for adversity. When it happens, sometimes we're caught short. We don't know exactly how to handle it when it comes up. Sometimes we don't know just what to do when adversity takes over. <laughs> and uh, I have advice for all of us. I got it from our pianist, Joe Zabinu, who wrote this tune. And it sounds like what you're supposed to say when you have that kind of problem. It's called mercy, mercy, mercy.
And there you have it, episode 520 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Kitty Bell Burbank. I'd like to thank The Sun Magazine and the writer Sparrow, as well as these musical artists. Thelonious Monk, Lou Reed, Jillian Welch, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, Barrett Strong, Sarah Vaughn, Branford Marsalis, and Terrence Blanchard, too. And, of course, I would like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care of yourself. Toodaloo.